0: Welcome to the Upper Room Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to urfellowship.com. All right, is this thing working? All right, good. Uh, It's an honor to be able to bring the word uh, today. Tanya and I started coming here about a year ago, I think, and uh, found this church to be so loving. And uh, peaceful and open, it's just been a, a, a good experience for us. And we've been in leadership in different churches throughout the years. Uh, and to come to a church where there doesn't seem to be any pretense or any uh, um, fighting for power, you know, that you see in other places, it's refreshing. So I uh, just want to tell you thanks for welcoming us. And uh, the times I've led worship here, just hearing you sing, you, you're a worshiping congregation. It's the neatest thing to be up front. The other worship leaders can attest to that. To be up front and to hear your voices, to hear your hearts just sing out. So um, it's nice. It's very nice. I want to talk about something that's not like easy, maybe not the most um, um, jovial <laughs> topic. But important to all of us, because we all deal with it one time or another. And particularly, you fathers, I would like to say, if you could give your children one thing, teach them how to forgive. Teach them how to be a man like Jesus, who said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Because we live in a society that is ripping itself apart with hatred. Don't you agree? Just look at Twitter watch the news, you'll see that that people cannot lay down offenses. You offend me, I'm going to come back at you. So we're going to read a few different scriptures today to help us get through it. I typically like to use one verse and kind of bounce off that, but there's a few because this topic, we could could talk about it for months, actually, so I'm going to try to condense what I can into a message today for us. Uh, I do not intend to put any more pain, hurt, guilt or law on you if you have been hurt, if you've been wounded. Uh, I just want to tell you, your your wounding is valid. And if anything happened to you in your life that you need to release, that you need to to give forgiveness to someone for, that's valid. Anything I say, if you hear me saying that's not valid, stop your whining, that's not my intention. I just need to say that up front. Because this is a touchy, touchy subject. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, if you want to get an angry crowd, start talking about forgiveness. And you'll get a reaction. So let's lay down our armor today and let's hear what the Spirit wants to say to all of us to set us free. Okay? When we talk about forgiveness, it's a spiritual battle. Because I believe the enemy knows the freedom that is waiting for you and for me on the other side if we will release someone. There's crazy freedom, crazy joy, crazy peace. And we have an enemy that knows that. So I I like to, whenever I teach, I like to spend like uh, the week before that in the car when I go back and forth to work and just try to give the message out loud to try to see the flow, see how long it's going to take for one thing. Um, So I'm pulling out of work the other day, and I, I was feeling it. I had gone maybe two miles, and man, it just like, yeah, this is right on. God, I want you to get a hold of our hearts. And a guy was at the red light. It turned green. He sat there for... A minute, so I just tapped my horn just to let him know. Set this guy off like I've never seen. Seriously, he he looked at his rearview mirror. I saw it in his eyes. He pulled out of the intersection about five miles an hour in the middle of the road, and just me and Helm going down. Uh, there was two lanes on my side in the middle of both of those lanes, and every time I tried to move back and forth, I felt myself getting so angry. I thought, who does he think he is? You know, And I've watched enough cop shows. I know if you clip the back end of the car, how you can spin them around. And I was, I was really getting mad. But I used to have a serious problem with anger, serious problem with anger. I grew up in an angry family uh, with an angry father who I love. I'm not meaning to dishonor him, but he had an anger problem. And it, and it was passed down to all of us. So I just, I just said, Lord, I know this is a test. And, and, and I, I, I started praying for the man. And as I prayed for him, he pulled off. He immediately pulled off as soon as I started praying for him and turned off a side road. And I felt physical pain go up through my back like I've never felt before. And I thought, that's where I hold my anger. You know, if you've ever heard of the emotional body scan where you can tell where you hold things... That's where I knew in that moment, that's where I hold my anger. And I felt like this was, if, if I've never had an attack from the enemy, that, that little incident was. And it was to, to make me think, you're not a forgiving guy. You're just like you've always been. God's done no work in your life. So this is a tough thing, right, to walk through for all of us. I want to read from Luke. Nine fifty-one through 56, and I'm reading from the New American Standard because it has a section of Scripture that some translations take out, but I think it's important to us. I uh, don't know if it's on the screen, but uh, Luke 9, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him, but they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, who, by the way, were called sons of thunder, okay, that was their nickname, when they saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? He turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Can you imagine, all right, let me give you just a little bit of background. We don't want to dig too much into this, but Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other. Particularly, Passover was one of those uh, times of the year that they saw things differently. The Samaritans celebrated Passover at Mount Gerizim, the Jews in Jerusalem. So the fact that Jesus was coming through this village and on his way to Jerusalem, these Samaritans thought, well, he's siding with the Jews. So, no, you can't come. How many of you remember... Before Jesus sent his disciples out on this journey previously, he gave them instructions on what to do if if they were not received. Anybody remember that? If you go into a town and they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet and go on. So they heard, they listened well, didn't they? How do you get from, no, we really don't want you here because we don't like your particular view, we don't like you as a people, We're really not sure Jesus has our best interests at heart. We don't want you here. How do you get from that to, Lord, could we like bring a fireball from heaven and and incinerate these people where they live? Before you judge them too much, let me ask you, how many times have you wanted to call fire down on somebody? I wanted to call fire down on Comcast last week. (laughs) Seriously, I was so mad. I was... My buddy DJ can attest to that. He got more of a rebate than I did, and I, it made me even angrier. You know, but immediately it's like, I can't believe these guys. You know, It's like because people attack our rights and they attack our personhood, we feel. That's not what's happening, but that's how we take it, and we call fire down on people. Things escalate quickly when you're pre-programmed to dislike a certain group of people, right? How easy it happens. Jesus said, you don't know what kind of spirit you're of. He's saying there's a there's a spirit that attaches to a person who deals with this. I believe our society lives in a spirit of revenge and retaliation. You mess with me, I'll mess with you. You write something bad about me, I'll write something bad about you. Just go to Twitter and just when you when you when you Click on one of them that looks like it's kind of an argument. Open the thread, man. It just goes and goes and goes. And they're all just back and forth. Because we do not like being dissed as a people. Right? As Christians, we're to live differently. We're to let these things go. And not because God wants to put guilt on us. Because God wants to set us free. We live in the spirit, the age of the spirit of revenge. I guarantee you one thing. No matter where you are in life, who you are, where you come from, you will be offended. Someone's going to betray you, someone's going to offend you, someone's going to sin against you, and you have to decide ahead of time, what kind of person do I want to be? Right? What do I want to do? Had I studied Kung Fu, I would have known, you, you practice ahead of time, <laughs> as, the, as the jabs come at you. I didn't, by the way. But I did sell cars for a while, and they use that to teach us how to to respond to to attacks, right? So if you know right ahead, you know, car's too expensive. You know what to say, right? But we are to prepare ourselves to respond to the things that come at us in a way that honors Christ and in a way that blesses our culture. We're here for a reason. We are image bearers of God. That is not a small calling. That's a huge calling. To be image bearers means we're to show to the world where heaven meets earth is in us. Right? You are the place where heaven meets earth. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The world should see something different than they see from someone who doesn't know Jesus. But the truth is we all have to grow. We have things we have to, to uh, get over. I want to give you four R's. I'm not big on the four R's or four S's, but in this case it seemed appropriate. So if you're taking notes, you can write these down. If not, put them in your mind. A checklist for us. When we feel offended, do we first react? Do you react? Are you controlled by external circumstances to where you react to an offense? Do we replay the offense? I am the person who will be awake all night replaying that instance in my mind and creating new ways that I could really slice that person to pieces verbally, right? You know, just, I, I, just when it gets me, when I'm not submissive to the Holy Spirit, when it gets me, I am controlled and consumed by replaying over and over and over. And you know what happens? We get stuck in time. You know, you like to be stuck in that the worst moment of your life. That's what we do when we replay the offense over and over and over again. Do you resist praying for your offender? We're to pray for those who persecute us. We're to pray for everyone. Is it difficult? Do you resist that? Do you reduce them? Here's the one. So it's kind of hard to explain, but uh, my sweet and wise wife helped me with this. When we take a person and all we do is attach them to that event, we're reducing them from a person to a thing, or from a person to an event, or from a person to an offense. We strip them of their humanity, right? You need to know that whoever has come against you, they're created in the image of God. God loves them. God wants to redeem them. If we reduce them to nothing more than the offense, we've robbed them of their humanity, and we've robbed them ourselves of the chance of being part of the process to help bring healing. So we don't want to react, replay, resist, or reduce. Here's what giving or not forgiving will do to you. It'll poison you. We know that. You know, you've probably read enough about what it does to your soul, what it does to your mind, your emotions, your body. It poisons you. If you don't forgive, you will slowly poison yourself. Nursing an offense gives... It and that person power over you, right? How many times have you felt, don't raise your hands, but how many times have you been so steeped in this in this offense and this hurt that you feel like deep inside that person is still controlling me? They still are controlling how I feel and what my days like. I had a situation years ago. Uh, I don't want to get too much into my childhood, but I, I a good childhood, but some of it was very rough. And it was very rough because of a certain person that uh, thought their job was to destroy me, to beat me down, to humiliate me almost every day of my life, to the point where at one point uh, he, he tried to drown me, and I was about 12 years old. Um, so I lived in this, in this daily churning of uh, a stronger, more mean-spirited person was going to control everything about my life. They're like my prison guard. Later in life, uh, when we were adults, he spent most of his adult life in prison, but when he was out uh, running around, he used my identity. So we started getting letters from attorneys and that sort of thing that, you know, they have good success with grand theft auto cases and all this stuff. And and it was a nightmare. This was maybe 20 years ago. Uh, Not the technology we have today. Identity theft was kind of a new thing. I talked to the FBI. I talked to police. Nobody could help at all. Nobody. So I knew I couldn't travel to certain areas. Because if I was pulled over for, you know, just speeding or whatever, I was going to jail. Um, And I traveled a lot for business and I had to carry a briefcase full of papers, you know, that said, this isn't me, you know like the guy, always the guy you pull in jail, go, I didn't do it. (laughs) It wasn't me, but it really wasn't. Um, Caused us a lot of grief. So I had to decide at some point, you know, was I going to spend every day waking up angry, bitter, irritated, or was I going to forgive him? And when I chose to forgive, I I found a freedom that I cannot describe to you. And I found uh, an open door for the Holy Spirit to work in his life, to bring him to Christ to uh, change the whole situation. And it's, n- it's not that every day you wake up you feel the same that you did when you initially forgave. It's, it's a struggle. But you have to decide that this person is not going to control my moods anymore. They're not going to control anything about my life. And the only way is to forgive them. It's like, you know, how do I get back at my enemy? I forgive him. That's how I get back at him. It's weird, isn't it? But we become like Gollum, and our little offense becomes like the ring. This is the way I see it. I see this person, and I've been that person, nursing this wound. I've been wounded. I've been offended. They didn't care about me. Worship team didn't let me sing. The pastor said something I think was directed at me. You know, all this stuff, and we nurse it, and it becomes like the ring of power. And we're like Gollum. And then someone comes along and they say, look, I can help you with that. I I know a way. I know a good counselor. Um, I know a good ministry. I have experienced it. Let me help you with it. And we clutch it tighter. You know why? Because it's ours. It's ours. No one else has that offense. And somehow it becomes such a part of us that it becomes our identity. And we don't, if someone strips strips it from us, we feel we don't know who we are anymore because I've been the wounded guy for so long. I don't know what it's like to live in freedom. Our identity is like you go to a party and you, everyone's like, Hi, I'm Sons. You go, Hi, I'm the wounded guy. You know what I mean? I don't mean to make light of it, but it is funny because I caught myself being the one that I had to tell everyone about how, how wronged I was. There's no freedom in that, there's no joy in that. Don't let it become who you are. Don't let it become your identity. And it becomes a filter through which we see everything, right? If you nurse this offense, everything's an offense. Everyone that says something is is coming at you. You know, your spouse, your kids, your boss, anybody, your friends. Oh, well, you just said that because whatever. Because we have this filter that suddenly everyone's out to get us. Christ wants to set us free from that so that we live a different kind of life. You want to see a bunch of guys whine? Watch the World Cup. Yeah. You know, the ball accidentally hits a guy's hand and everybody's like, "Ah!" you know, you didn't see that, you know, you wronged me. You know, professional soccer players, and I love soccer. It's the greatest sport ever in the history of the world. It's what we'll play in heaven. But they are a bunch of babies. I'm telling you, the fake falls, you know, the, you fall down and and you want to see some people who are easily offended and whiners, watch it. Here's the thing that hurts the most. The people that love you now pay for the people who wounded you in the past, right? Your bitterness, your anger, your irritability, your distrust is projected on to your spouse or to whoever is close to you. And they say something that somehow triggers that thing from the past, and all of a sudden, they pay the price. They receive your anger. right? Don't let the people who love you now pay for the people who wounded you in the past. The only way is to get whole. Get whole for their benefit. Choosing not to forgive robs you of the abundant life Jesus wants to have. This is not going to be on the screen, but John 10.10, right? How many of us know it? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life abundantly. That's Jesus' heart for you. I do want to look at this, 2 Corinthians 6, 11-13. I don't know if it's on there or not, but I, this is from the message. This hit me, oddly enough, two years ago. This verse from uh, the message paraphrase, the way Eugene Peterson put it, hit me so hard. I actually, I posted it, like, wow, this verse... Oddly enough, that verse showed up today in my feed as you know a memory from two years ago. It's like, okay, well, maybe this verse means something. Uh, you have to get the background. We're not going to dig into it. So if it's different than your translation, don't be bothered by it. I believe Peterson went to the heart, really, of what Paul was trying to say. Listen to this. Dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide-open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. So he's going at the fact that they felt like Paul and the other leaders were fencing them in, were were restricting them. And he's saying, that smallness you feel, that didn't come from us. Because God created you to have a big life, not a small life. The smallness you feel comes from within you. How many of you know oftentimes the thing that we think is happening, the perception, is not real. It's, it's our own emotions tricking us. It's our own memory. It's our own mind. It's tricking us into thinking something and we become that, that irritable person. God's desire for you is abundant, boundless life in wide-open spaces. Paul's just trying to paint a picture. Just just picture this. You get a wide-open field in front of you, and God says, everything is yours. Everything is yours. And you're living in this little cage in the middle of the field that you won't leave because you're nursing the wound that someone gave you, and you won't release it. We choose a prison right? of bitterness, unforgiveness, by the way, unforgiveness is a weird word because when you type it, it'll autocorrect because evidently it's not really a word <laughs> in someone's book. It's a word in my book and we're going to use it today. If you live in that bitterness and unforgiveness, it's like putting yourself in this little cell when God has a wide open field in front of you. And Paul says, your lives aren't small, but you're living them like they are. Just let, let that sink in for a minute. Think about it your reaction to things, are you living your life in a small way when God intended for you to know that he's created you for greater things? He's created us for victory in every area. The problem is we don't know how to live in victory. It bothers us. It's scary. Success is often more frightening than failure. Failure we're comfortable with. Success freaks us out. So the moment we start feeling free, we start clutching onto something that felt comfortable, and that was the hurt and the offense. We become small souls. How many people have seen Little Mermaid? Hands. Remember when they got cursed, they became those little bitty people? The king with his little trident, right? That's, that's My wife gave me that picture too. She should be giving this message, not me. But she said, that's what I see people like. And what I see, you know, myself like to hear, when when I become that person, just a small, shriveled up soul where God wants us to be wide open, full of grace, full of mercy, full of peace, full of love and forgiveness. That's how He intends us to live because it gives us freedom. So don't be little mermaid people. Question What do you want? Bitterness or peace? Yeah, you can't have both. They don't coexist. Ephesians four thirty thirty two 32 says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let me ask you, I know it's a fairy tale. What would it be like if our society lived this? If the people at work, if the people in politics, if the people on social media, wherever, if we decided as a, we could say as a nation, let's just say as as the church, if we decided to be this. Because some of the worst hurts I've ever experienced in my life came from church, came from other Christians. And some of the worst ones I've given has been in a church setting where I thought I was right and I attacked. Right? But we are to not grieve the Holy Spirit, but to get rid of. Now, if Paul says get rid of, do you think it means that we have the capability to get rid of it? Why would God give you a command like that if you couldn't do it? Get rid of bitterness. Show love and grace and forgiveness. Be those kind of people. There is a better way to live. All right, C.S. Lewis said this. I know this is kind of like C.S. Lewis mini church here seems like every week. I love it. That's what drew me here when I first heard Chris on podcast. We were checking out churches. I'm like, this dude reads Lewis. I'm going, you know, it's all right. And then he quoted from The Great Divorce. My goodness, that's bizarre. You know, one of my favorite books ever. Uh, But he said this about forgiveness. He who has not forgiven an enemy has never yet tasted one of the most sublime enjoyments of life. Really? (laughs) So let's just picture... You're on The Bachelor, Bachelorette, whatever, and they're like interviewing you. What do you like? And you go, I like long walks on the beach and uh, sitting by fire reading a book. Oh, and I absolutely adore forgiving my enemies, right? I mean, as Lewis is saying, it's one of the most sublime enjoyments of life. If you've never experienced it, you think he's an idiot, right? You're like, you don't know the hurt I've had, but I'm telling you, it's true. There's a supernatural power and grace that comes in choosing to forgive someone who has wronged you that you'll get no other way. You'll almost, almost, not quite, be grateful for the offense. It's a sublime enjoyment of life. All right, Matthew 18, start with 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you, up to seven times? but up to 70 times 7. All right, that, that passage goes on to talk about the unmerciful servant. We've, that's usually what's attached to a, a teaching on forgiveness. Uh, but we're going a little different route. But let's think about that. Peter goes to Jesus, and he says, the Talmud, by the way, said you, you should forgive three times. So Peter's like, I'm going to double that, and I'm going to add one. So I'm going to be the best disciple. No, nobody's as good a disciple as me, no one right? I can do double plus one. So he says, Lord, how many times? Seven? Jesus, like he always does, like shatters everyone's hopes of, of like I've attained it, you know? Nope, 70 times seven. There's a lot of meaning wrapped up in that. There's a little bit of Jewish history and prophetic word from the, the Daniel prophecy, and there are cycles of 490 years, but that's not what really he was getting at. It's very simple. If you've ever been puzzled by this verse, let me just clear it up. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm the one standing up here, so I get to say it. Is that right, Chris? Is there power when you're up here? Say what I want. <laughs> but it's simple. He's saying, quit keeping score. Don't keep score. Love keeps no record of wrongs. We will, Tanya and I, we will have been married 32 years this fall we were married and we were 10 um, it was a range marriage you know in our village and stuff but nevertheless the survival of our marriage depended on forgiveness daily forgiveness that means the little things the big things whatever and you have to you have to make a choice If you're entering into this, you have to choose. And I know marriages fail, and there's no shame or guilt in that, people. I I, I really, I don't mean that, okay? Ours could have just as easily failed, and it would have probably been my fault. But it can happen. But by God's grace, we're where we are. But you decide ahead of time, I am choosing I'm going to forgive you. Now, there is an out Jesus gave for certain things, but let's just say, you know, in your heart, you say, I want to choose ahead of time. When our kids were born, I made a choice. I had my little ceremony with God, you know, uh, me and God alone, and I'm kind of weird that way. And so I said, Lord, I choose today. I'll forgive my children for anything and everything for the rest of their lives. I don't care what it is. They can reject me. They can hate me. I choose to be like you, Lord, and I forgive them. And if you make a declaration in your own heart ahead of time, it does kind of frame you in to say, I'm going to do my best to be a forgiving person. I'm qualified to give this message only because I failed so many times. Do you know what I mean? I I feel qualified. I was telling a friend I didn't feel qualified, but what I really meant was I'm only qualified because I've been a miserable failure at forgiving and letting things go. But... Uh, should be mad at me, but my wife taught me what forgiveness means. So it means don't keep score. Jesus was also attacking our scarcity mentality. Let, let me let me open up that a little bit for you. Scarcity mentality. There's only so much. There's only so much food. There's only so much water. There's only so much money. There's only so much grace and forgiveness and joy and peace. We feel like these things. that that we're living in this place of scarcity. There's only so much to be had, and if I forgive, I'm giving up some of that. Maybe it won't come back. What if I forgive and no one forgives me back? So what? You've already been forgiven a greater debt than anyone could ever have against you. But our scarcity mentality is what Jesus attacks over and over and over, whether it comes to money, whether it comes to friends, whether it comes to ministry, but particularly in this area of abounding grace. He's saying grace produces grace. The more grace you give, the more grace there is. The more you forgive, the more forgiving your heart becomes. It multiplies. You have to believe it have to believe it. Don't let the enemy lie to you and tell you that if you give up, if you surrender this little area, that suddenly you're going to be fenced in. If you surrender and you choose to forgive, it opens up your cage and you live in these wide open places that God wants for you. In God's economy, there's no scarcity. Along with the things that happened to me as a child and and growing up, Uh, You know, we also had some situations like you always do, whether it's work or church or whatever. And there was a situation in a church years ago where we were in leadership and uh, not too many details because I don't want to dishonor the man either. Uh, But a pastor came and there was a rift. And and in that, he chose that uh, he wanted everyone in the church to believe certain things about certain things. And if you were against him, then there was a campaign against you. And we were on the receiving end of that. Um, you know, for whatever reason, and lies were told about me. Um, this was years ago, by the way, years ago. Uh, lies were told about me, things were said about my family, all to get us to leave. And I dealt with some serious anger. That was the church we raised our children in, right? That was the church that I preached in and I led worship in. I taught Sunday school in, and I was on the. Board of the deacons, you know. But when this happened, uh, kind of my world blew apart because all the comfort of, of where we met God was taken away. I could have stayed, but we chose at some point, you know, to go. But so much anger in my heart toward this man and toward his people that I would, again, lay awake at night thinking about ways to hurt him. Pictured myself with a ball bat going to the pastor's house. Can you imagine being that Kind of a guy, I was gonna go to his house with a ball bat. It's gonna hit his dog, not him, because he was bigger than me. But it's gonna hit something. No. <laughs> no, but I just had that kind of anger, and it's like it's un- it's uncontrollable, right? The rage. And I said, Lord, I don't want this anymore. I don't want it. My family's paying for it. My family's paying for my anger. They have to hear me. Uh, and I was reading Mark five. We're not gonna go there, but it's the story of the the demon from the tombs. Demon possessed man, and when Jesus met him. Well, there were things about that that I was reading. I'm like, that's me. You know, he lived among the dead. I thought, forgiveness is our pathway to life. If we choose not to forgive, we're living in the tombs. We're living among the dead. No one could restrain this guy. And how often my poor wife would say, please don't write that. Please don't send that email. Please don't post that. She couldn't control me, I was out of control. He was naked. I didn't run around naked. But I was exposed because I couldn't control my, my rage or my feelings, right? So everyone was exposed to my, my dark thoughts about that guy. He's a, he's, he's a piece of filth. He's whatever. He's whatever. And I was praying one day, and I had a vision. I've had a few of these in my life, and this was profound. Jesus was standing next to me, and this man was standing over here. And Jesus said, just like he asked Peter, he said, do you love me? Are you my disciple? And I said, yeah. He said, you go forgive that man. Because you don't know the hits he's taken in his life. And I did it. And I saw him immediately after that in Walmart. And I went up and I gave him a hug and I said I'm so sorry that we couldn't stay together. That this thing pulled us apart. But I want to bless you and your family. I just pray that things go well for you. I was so free in my heart. You know? Plus he might have beat me up if I (laughs) was mad. Uh, I don't know but I just saw this parallel with this demonic man, and I thought, that's what my rage is. It's making me like a demon-possessed man, so full of anger. And it took a vision to set me free. So uh, I was reading a book by R.T. Kendall called Total Forgiveness. If you haven't read it, and you want to deal with forgiveness, read this book. It'll it'll rock your world. But he asked the question, do you want revenge or revival? And I thought, I want revival, Lord. I want revival. Then you can't have both. And I found out that C.S. Lewis was right. I no longer felt controlled by these people. I no longer felt controlled by my own emotions. I felt the presence of the Lord like I've never felt in my life, and I felt free. Now, since then, stumbled, fell, even in that situation. Because what happens with forgiveness? You forgive someone, that memory pops up one day at the most inopportune time. I've been leading worship, and I feel like the enemy has tried to put thoughts in my mind about people that I had a problem with in the past that I've released, and they pop back up, and I just say, Lord, that's yours. You've got to take it, because it'll ruin everything today. So there's always, always something waiting to pull you back into that. But know that the presence of God is more important than your right to be angry. So I just have a few thoughts t- to end. Forgiveness, we're not going to do the whole checklist, if, if you're struggling in this area, let me just encourage you. Uh, find a good Christian counselor. Find someone who can help you walk through it. Friend, pastor's here. We have Sozo ministry here. Um, Tanya and I, we, we studied the Enneagram, and you might think that's weird, but it kind of helped us understand how we're wired, you know, how we think about things. But get some help. Get some help. Because you can't walk through that alone. You need you need people to encourage you and to be there with you. But forgiveness doesn't require reinstatement. You're not going to pull that person back into your life necessarily. There's no guilt in that, right? For me, I would go embrace everyone and bring them back in my life because I'm a seven, whatever that means to you. But uh, to Tanya, it's like she she's different and she's like I, I need my I need my protective space. But I forgive them. Right? We're different, but it doesn't mean that they come back and have the same place in your life that they had before. Necessarily, it might, but it might not. It doesn't mean staying in a, an abusive relationship. Absolutely. Right? We know that. Well, I forgive him. He keeps doing that, but I forgive him. Um, you need Your physical safety is important. Forgiveness happens internally, so they don't necessarily have to be part of it. right? You don't have to go find them. And say, you know, in some instances, if you go to someone who doesn't know they offended you and say, I forgive you, you're opening up a new can of worms, man. This thing's going to blow up. So sometimes just release them in your own heart. Release them between you and the Lord. Forgiveness is not optional. As a believer of Christ, we're to, what Greg said, we're to follow him. We're to follow him. Or Bruce, one of you guys said it. You know, if you're followers of Jesus, that means you're a follower of Jesus, right? You do what he says. And everything he says brings you and the people around you peace and joy and happiness. And resisting it usually brings conflict. Remember this, you've been forgiven a far greater debt, right? When we receive forgiveness, but we decide to keep it to ourselves, it becomes like the manna. It becomes spoiled, rotten. Because manna was sweet-tasting wafers. Right? I think it was kinda like a um, White House donut, maybe or something, right? It's, uh, you know, and, and the the name manna means what is it? It's like, what is this stuff? I like it, but you weren't allowed to keep it. So is is for, have you not tasted forgiveness and it been sweet where God forgave you of your sins? And it's sweet tasting, but you keep it, it turns rotten. You gotta give it out. You're a vessel of grace and mercy. Bitterness will affect you physiologically. It will tear your body up, it will tear your, your mind, your emotions, it will mess you up. God wants you free of that. Forgiving someone, here's here's maybe the, the most important thing I could say. Forgiving someone takes supernatural power. I always think about and I, I you know, I've seen miracles happen. And then I see, you know, Bethel where all these miracles are happening. I'm like, that's phenomenal. I'd love to see, you know, miracles that we can see. But the greatest miracle any of us ever see is when someone lays down their armor and chooses to forgive because they love Jesus. For him to break through our defenses and to make us loving, forgiving people is, it's a miracle. Choose to see other people through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. You don't know what hits they've taken. Uh, In the book, Seven Habits, which I read years ago, I remember the story in there. The guy was on the subway, and he was trying to read a paper, and these kids were running around, these boys, and they're crazy. They were knocking people's stuff over and interrupting everybody. And the man finally asked the father, he said, can't you control your children? And the dad said, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. We just left the hospital where their mother died, and I guess they don't really know how to handle it. You don't know the hits someone else has taken. You don't know why they act the way they do. So choose love. Choose love. Deuteronomy where it says, I've set before you life and death, choose life, that it might go well with you. Choose life, choose love. Forgiveness might need to happen over and over again. Grace, when it calls to us, that call is sometimes very faint. It's like in the distance. But the more we tune into that frequency, the more it becomes louder and louder. And then we hear God's voice clearly because there's a lot of clutter. There's a lot of white noise and everything around us between us and what God really wants to say to our hearts. But I can guarantee you one thing. The the one thing He wants to say to all of us today, in any situation you have to forgive right now, do it. Do it. And I'll bless you a million times. I'll pour my blessing out on you like you've never known. God commands it because he loves us that's why and I know what it's like to not forgive and I know what it's like to forgive I'd rather be a forgiver God would rather us be that way the last thing would be in our society the father wound is something that needs healed Uh, A lot of us have situations maybe with our fathers. Maybe they were mean, angry, just distant. Maybe they were okay, but they just focused on work too much. Whatever it is, in in our lives, men, I'm speaking to the men, that becomes something in us that, that gets a hold of us, trips us up. And if you have anything, I don't know why I feel compelled to say this, maybe there's somebody here with your father, I think the Holy Spirit is saying today, forgive him. Forgive him. We don't want to forgive because we feel like God doesn't have our backs. Like if we open ourselves up, we're going to get hurt again. God says, trust me, and in humility, follow me. So men, if you have something with your father, forgive him today. It might be the answer to him coming to know Jesus. I want to pray with us. Um, Before that, I I haven't given you a lot of how-tos because there really isn't, unless you sit with a counselor and go through that. The how-to is to see the grace that's been given to you, to choose to acknowledge that your debt's far greater than anybody else's, and because you've been forgiven, forgive. it's, It's just that. Let them go. Um, there's a scene from the movie The Shack. I don't want to get in an argument about The Shack, but I'm going to tell you, it moved me, where he said it means taking your hand off their throat. Right? Take your hand off their throat. Choose to just let God love them. Release them. Anybody else, whatever it is you're dealing with in forgiveness, we're going to have the ministry team. In fact, should should they come down now, maybe? And then uh, there is an announcement before we get to there about there's some gifts for men on your way out uh, that you might want to... Greg, see them. There's gifts in the back on the way out for the men. (laughs) great is there anything else before i pray that we need to say all right i'm going to pray for you guys right now and i want to pray a blessing over over you as people that uh god would set you free so let's pray father we thank you so much that you love us with an amazing love that your love is boundless that there is nothing we could do that would send us away from you Lord, that your grace is always there for us. And and I pray that as a people, we would choose to be like Jesus, to forgive, to trust you, because it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem normal. It seems to go against everything we've been taught. But let us trust you and do what you've asked us to do, what you've told us to do. And I pray that right now that all demonic oppression and the shackles and the fear and the burden the spirit of anger, the spirit of revenge, bitterness. I pray in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, that you would break every one of those today in people's lives. That you would set your children free because you love them. Because you love them. In the the Old Testament, there was a blessing given to the people, and it was... the Lord be gracious to you, make His face shine upon you, and give you peace. I want to leave you with that today. Amen? Have a great Father's Day. Oh, come down front if you need prayer. We have a prayer team here. Believe me, make use of these guys.